Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. So we're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah, these two contemporaries called by God to do two extraordinary works. Now Ezra, and I'm not going to get too much into Ezra today, I want to really focus on Nehemiah, but Ezra was called to rebuild the temple. I want you to understand that in scripture, you you guys will hear me say this a lot. I'm an expository preacher, if you want to call it that way. I want you to understand that the types and shadows that exist in the word of God are there for a, it's a symbolism for us to learn from in contemporary terms. When God is talking about, when the word is talking about rebuilding the temple, something that's going on inside the temple, you have to understand that that's you. That's your body, that's your person, that's you specifically. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us twice in 1 Corinthians 1 and 3.16 and 1 in uh, 6 and 19 of 1 Corinthians, he says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And again, he says in uh, 6 and 19, know ye not you're the temple, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, mind you, he's talking to saved Christians in Corinth, those that were, were uh, that he preached to and ministered to in the book of Acts, they received God, they received the Holy Ghost, etc. So he's talking to Christians and he's reminding them that you effectively are the temple of God. This building uh, that we have is meaningless in terms of what God sees in you and the Holy Ghost dwelling in you. Well, what is the Holy Ghost dwelling in you? It's Jesus. It's Jesus' spirit operating inside you. And so Ezra is called to this so critical task. He's a priest of the house, and so therefore it's, it's rightful that he's called to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, it was completely destroyed by the Babylonians. And so we see the first beginning of the process in the temple in the city God started with the man first. He started with the temple. He starts with you first. And then he works his way out to the outside. He works on the inside first and the outside later. You see, the, 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 the concept with Ezra and Nehemiah is it's an inside and an outside reformation of us. God starts with the inside of the temple first and then he works his way out because Nehemiah's call, of course we know, was to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And I would contend to you today that the reason Israel fell, the reason they were taken into captivity is because they allowed their walls to fall. Come on, are you hearing me now? They let their walls down. They let their guard down. Do you know that a major part of what they were doing when they were rebuilding the walls of the temple is there was a whole group of guys, their whole job was to maintain guard at all time. When the city of Jerusalem was standing, there were people whose whole job was to stand guard against the attacks of the enemy, watch over the walls. And I would contend to you that the reason that Israel fell, the reason they were taken into captivity, what's captivity in our symbolism? We fall to sin. The reason we're succumbing to sin, we fall to sin or we get trapped in a sin and drawn away from God is because we take our guard away. We let the walls come down. Once the walls are down, the enemy has access into what? Into the temple. And it gets inside us. We rationalize, we justify, and sin reigns in our mortal bodies as Paul talks about, right? This is a model and a a, a guideline for us to understand 
that God begins with the temple first. He rebuilds it through Ezra. And then he calls Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the Persian king, the influence that he had. God used Darius, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes, that's the king, of course, that Esther married later on. Heathen kings used to help rebuild the temple of God and rebuild the walls. So I want to turn you to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm just going to go through a few of these very critical points. So first and foremost, Nehemiah recognizes, he, he gets word what's going on in Jerusalem. The city's still there, it's just, in complete, it's just a complete wreck. It's a disaster. So Nehemiah hears of the destruction that's gone on there. How many of you ever gotten wind, someone got a phone call, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Remember when they used to come to church here? Remember when they were here? Did you hear what's happened to them? Did you hear what's falling? Did you, they're, they're, they're getting a divorce they're, the family's coming apart. One of the kids has gotten into some bad thing. Have you gotten a phone call like that? Where you know the temple is down. The walls have come down and the temple is not being rebuilt. So Nehemiah finds this out and of course he, he immediately he's, he's vexed with this and, 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 and is having conversations apparently with the king at the time. And, and listen to what he says here as he, he comes to God in humility. He begins to pray for the sins of, of the people and himself. And he says, and I said, verse one, excuse me, verse five of Nehemiah one, he says, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Now that's a real key line there. That's a key point. He says, your covenant and mercy with those you love. We have to understand that when we engage in a relationship with God, we've repented of our sins, we've received his spirit, there's a covenant with God that we've created and he honors that covenant. That water baptism blood that you went underneath to erase those sins, to hide those sins under the blood is a covenant between you and God. He recognizes that you, he keep, God keeps his covenant and his mercy with those he loves. He goes on to say, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Notice he says we. Nehemiah recognizes that He's part of the group. Both my father's house and I have sinned, he says. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not the commandments, kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. You see, when the Israelites were carried off into Babylon, they weren't all slaughtered and killed and murdered. They were absorbed into the Babylonian society. So they had already fallen. They had already kind of given up their principles. They'd already sort of let their wall down, let their, their, their city and their temple uh, to be fallen into ruin. And they go into the Babylonian captivity. Come on, some people that I know understand what I'm saying. Uh, they fall into the, 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 the works of the enemy. They get a hold of something and they justify it and they rationalize it. They're living that life and, and they're just saying, it's okay with God. This is all right. This is Israel right now. They're living in Babylon. As a matter of fact, when, when they make this trek back uh, at the end of the day, when Nehemiah goes there to do this rebuilding process, uh, fewer than two or three percent of all the Israelites that were taken into captivity actually go back to Jerusalem. They've given their lives wholly over to this Babylonian captivity, to this life of sin, to this life that they've absorbed. It's, it was too much for them. 
And far too often, I, I, I decry the folks that I know, I've known over the, my 39 years in the church that have turned away permanently. They've, they let their walls down. They let the temple be defiled. They, they turned to Babylon. They said, okay, I'm, I'm, in captive, I'm captive by Babylon. I might as well stick with it. This is my life now. God says, God doesn't want me anymore. I've done too much. It's, it's, it's too far gone. I've encountered that so many times over the years, and it's heartbreaking. Nehemiah 2 and 19, if you go there, Nehemiah's got the funding from the king. He's got the team. He's going to start working on rebuilding those walls. He's repented before God. See, this is all about the whole story of Ezra and Nehemiah are about our failures. But returning to God, recognizing we've got to rebuild. Rebuild the temple first. And rebuild the walls next. Nehemiah 2 and 19, the opposition rises in response to the work of God. It says there, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, meaning heard of what they were about to do, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now this is those friends, this is those people. Sanballat was said to be a... um, uh, possibly the governor of Samaria. There's some ancient documentation that, says, that, that calls him, literally refers to him as the government of Samaria. Well, you know who the Samaritans are. The Samaritans are the Israelites that intermixed with the heathens. They're the, they're the, they're the half-breeds, if you will. And, uh, and Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem are Israelites. They're Jews. They're contemporaries of Ezra and Nehemiah. Come on now, these are the friends that get a hold of that person that's trying to make their way back and they laugh at them and scorn them. And, and what do you want to do that for? What do you want to get involved with that for? That church, that, those church full of hypocrites. There's nothing good there for you. What, what do you want to get involved with that for? That's ridiculous. Are you going to rebel against Satan? Are you going to rebel against your master is the message that comes out. And it's hard for people to make that turn. That's the message that the enemy is putting into their head at that time. You fool, you fell down. Your walls are down, your temple's down. You've got no right to the kingdom of God. But see, at that time, it showed that they didn't think a whole lot about God's authority and a whole lot about God's abilities. They were more concerned with the Persian king. That's what he meant when he said, are you gonna rebel against the king? You're gonna put this city up and fortify and become an enemy of the king? As I said, they were Jews, they were followers, they were brothers of Nehemiah and the citizens of Jerusalem. You might have thought that they would tag, tag team with them. Hey, how can we help? How can we support the work? How can, we, how can we be a part of this? How can we help you get back on the track? Boy, the mistakes that you've made have destroyed your life. You, you, your marriage is wrecked and I see you're trying to find a better place and you're, you're, you're seeking God. That's a good thing. How can we help you? How can we be a support to you as you're going to church and you're, you're trying to get your life back together? That's how it should go, right? That's what, that's what should happen from those people in the world, those brothers, those friends that our, our folks fall into, the people that that have turned away or have fallen and slipped and fallen. That's how it should be. But these guys weren't like that. They were, they were mocking them and, 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 and giving them scorn and, and laughing at them. Famous historian David Nadler said that opposition is always difficult, but when it comes from brothers, it is then mixed with the pain of betrayal as well. 
when your brothers are laughing at a work that you're trying to do. See, these priestly men, these men of God, were trying to build the temple. They were trying to follow what God had put on their heart to do. They were following what God was directing them to do, and their own brothers were mocking them, murmuring and criticizing. See, because they had become so carnal, because they had come so, become so humanist, they didn't think that Ezra and Nehemiah were being led by God. They just figured it was Ezra and Nehemiah and some crazy idea that they had in their own selves. And that's evidenced by their concern for the Persian king as opposed to the king of kings. When the man of God has got something laid on his heart to do and he's driven by that motivation to please God and to do what God's given him to do and the opposition comes from even brothers, brothers that should be saying, hey, how can I support you? How can I get behind you? How can I, how can I show that I'm with you on this? But they don't. They laugh and they scorn and they criticize and they mock and they assume that this is just some, some earthly thing that these nutballs are doing, these crazy guys are doing. It's, it's akin to betrayal. You following me? Look at Nehemiah chapter 4. Sanballat and Tobiah, these great voices, these, these friends of Nehemiah are ridiculing his work and they're actually starting to attempt to discourage the workers. This is the way the enemy works now. See, they were so against what, he, what they were doing. They were so used by the enemy to try to dissuade Nehemiah that the next step is to go and try to, to, to take out the ones that are supporting Nehemiah. Let's, let's be discouraging to them. Let's, let's mock them and, and come against them. Nehemiah chapter four, starting at verse one, says, but it so happened that when Sam Bell had heard that we were re- rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. This man of Israel, Sanballat, this governor of Samaria, was so aggravated that Nehemiah was attempting to do this work that God laid on his heart, that he became furious and indignant. I'm using a different translation. I apologize. I hope that's not messing you up. And he mocked the Jews for doing this. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Ever hear that question? What are these guys doing? Why are they doing it this way? Will they fortify themselves, he says? Will they offer sacrifices? He's mocking the reason they're rebuilding the wall. Will they complete it in a day, Sanballat said? In other words, he was trying to discourage them that this massive job was, was, was just impossible. You have to understand that Jerusalem's walls were down to complete Nothing, there was just, the Bible says that there was rubbish and garbage laying everywhere. The stones were down, the stones were burnt. Those stones weren't carved out, hewn out of, uh, entirely out of granite. Those things were made with, with straw and mud and clay and all that kind of stuff, whatever they could find in the desert. And, 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 and so everything was burnt and destroyed. It was so bad, the rubbish and the garbage was so bad that they were working their way through. Come on, someone's got to hear what I'm saying here. The trash that was left behind from the destruction was so bad that the men of Israel were hurting themselves, stumbling over this stuff, struggling to get to the job to work. And Sanballat and his people are mocking them and saying, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? 
There was a lot of garbage for Nehemiah to clean up, a lot of stones to pick up off the ground. There was nothing left. The Babylonians were, were, were efficient in their destruction of the temple. The enemy will never, try to, never allow you to leave a stone standing if he can help it. If he's going to take you down, he's going to take you all the way down to the very worst possible place. He's not in it to just help you survive. He wants to destroy you completely. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. They were doing whatever they could now to discourage not only Nehemiah, but the people that were working with him, the people that were on his side, that were supporting his project, that were supporting the rebuilding of the walls. Nehemiah chapter 4 and 10 says it this way, if you, and you can take a look there if you want. The challenge from the inside uh, is really what it became uh, the bigger problem. Discouragement among the people, um, just, it started to make, the job just started looking too big. It says there in 4 and 10, then Judah said the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. They're starting to see the problems get bigger than they really are. See, at first it was, hey, God's with us and God can do this. And Nehemiah tells them later in the later chapters, God will fight for us. And they were ready to go ahead and move on. They believed in their leader. They got pretty excited all at the beginning. But see, they wanted a quick shot. They, 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 they were, these, well, Sam Ballad and, and, and Tobiah and those guys just wanted to wreck the whole thing. But everyone was all fired up. They were ready to get behind their leader. They were ready to get behind the builders of the temple and the wall. Come on, someone preach with me. They were ready to get behind that person. Hey, this sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty exciting. We got to move ahead. No problem. Yeah, there's garbage around. Yeah, there's things to fix. There's things to pick up. There's things to do in the house. But all of a sudden, those things started looking real big. These guys got inside their heads. Oh, this, this challenge is a little too tough. I got too much going on. You know, my work schedule is really tough. You know, I've got kids at home. I've got some other things going on. And, and you know what? I don't know if, I, if that's a good idea, what, what, what that Nehemiah is doing. I'm not so sure that I'm going to support that now because this was getting in their heads. It was discouraging them because all of a sudden now that garbage started looking a lot bigger than it was. Why? Because they took their eyes off God. They took their eyes off what they knew that God was capable of doing. If God wanted to, he could have picked up every single one of those stones in an instant and rebuilt that wall himself. Come on, I hope you're with me now. Nehemiah 6 and verse 5. Kind of shows you just how nasty it starts to get now with them. Nehemiah continues to build. You know the story. I'm not going to get into all the favorite stuff, the good stuff about how he stood on the wall building with a trowel in one hand, a sword in the other. And they, they had guys, that their job was to guard and fight off all the, the, the problem guys and, and the other guys were building. But it says there, it says, then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time. Now, four other times, what he's doing now is he's trying a different tactic. He's trying to dissuade Nehemiah, discourage him from his plans moving forward. I got a different idea. I've got something I'm going to try. Sanballat now is going to start to slander him. It's very subtle. Listen to what he does. It says, by the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. So they start to accuse, bring up false accusations. We call them straw men. 
We had a president recently, a couple ago, that was really good at straw man tactics. If you don't know what that means, look it up. Starts to create this straw man. So the rumors are going around. I got some dirt on you, Nehemiah. You're doing this whole thing so you can set yourself up as the king. That's why you're rebuilding these walls. The accusations begin. I hope everybody's following me. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. So not only is he accusing him of rebuilding to become the king, he's telling him that you're putting out messages that there's going to be a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, he says. In other words, I'm going to go tell the Persian king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. So this is the fifth time now that he's tried to persuade Nehemiah by a letter to come out from the walls, come off of the work, stop what you're doing, and come and sit down and talk with me. But Nehemiah knew through the Holy Ghost, he knew through the Spirit that that was a trap. Come on now. Let's, let's get together and talk. Let's go out and have a cup of coffee. Let me tell you why you're, you're wrong in doing this. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Nehemiah with courage faced off with that enemy. He sent the message back and said, you're making this up. You're inventing this and I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna defy you in what you're trying to do to me. For they all were trying to make us afraid saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah stands defiantly in the face of these guys who tried everything to stop him from doing what God has called him to do. Folks, I'm telling you, we were, we're all in one position or another at a point in our lives, in our walk with God, whether it be the beginning or two or three times through the course of time, or it doesn't matter. But we're rebuilding the temple and then we're rebuilding the walls. We're rebuilding the temple and then the city. We got to get here right and then we got to build the city that God's called us to do. And we got to get behind the men and women of God that God has laid this message on. Don't be Sanballat and Tobiah. Don't get involved with that kind of stuff. And don't let Sanballat and Tobiah into your life because you've got a city to build. You've got a job to do and God's called every single one of you. Do you understand that God doesn't call one person to be an observer or a sitter or just a, a person on the sidelines. He's got something for every single person that he calls to him. The famous Baptist revivalist J. Edwin Orr defined revival this way. He said, revival is the spirit of God working through the word of God in the lives of the people of God. Nehemiah chapter 8 is an awesome example of that quote. Just hearing God's word sparks revival. Look at Nehemiah 8 and 1. Now I said Ezra's a contemporary. He's still around. He's still involved in this process. He's a friend of Nehemiah. The people gather together now. They've worked on, they've rebuilt the temple. They're, they're successful in fighting off the attacks of Sanballat and Tobiah and the Sumerian army. And, and they're building and they're successful. In Nehemiah chapter eight, it says that the people actually called Ezra together, excuse me, 
they asked Ezra to gather the people together to read God's word. It says this, it says, now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square. Notice what it said there. The people gathered together as one man. They were in unity. That's extremely important. It's critically important in this process. They were in unity. They were together behind the man of God for the purpose of rebuilding the temple and the city walls. See, Jerusalem was the apple of God's eye. It was the center of his universe. It was the beginning of everything. All that God was gonna do was gonna be centered out of Jerusalem. You know that's still true today? When it all comes down, when everything comes down to the final days, to the final actions, it's gonna be sourced out of the city of Jerusalem. It says the people were together as one man. In other words, they were unified in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read, it from, it, he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and women who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of law. Everyone was listening to God's word, not Sanballat's word, not Tobiah's word, not the word that was being whispered in their ears, not the letters that were being sent. They listened to God. Go on to verse four. Listen to how they received it. It says that so Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him in his right hand stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and at the left hand was Pedaiah, Mishael, Michael, excuse me, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mishalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. And what were they doing? They were lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Nehemiah starts and finishes with the repentance of the people and a reminder to contend for the faith because he told them, if we stay faithful, if we honor what God has called us to do and honor the man of God, whom he has spoken to, God will fight for us. I'm gonna encourage you as I'm closing this morning. You've got a temple to protect. You've got city walls to protect. And you've got a call from God to protect. Every one of us has a role in building those walls. Amen? Amen. All right, you are dismissed until... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.